Jesus said that it is the spirit that quickeneth or that makes alive. The flesh profits nothing. And then he said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And, and I get excited uh, when, I, when I read verses like that. You know, this, this book is not just a history book, but this book is a book that gives life. And gives peace and joy. The spirit profits nothing. I'm sorry, the flesh profits nothing or counts nothing. I think so many times we get that a bit backwards. And we try to do so much in and of ourselves. And look to God's word as more of a last resort. You know, we live in a world that is heading more and more down the road of self-obsession. It is self-seeking. It is self-centered. It is self-worshipping. And by means of illustration, today, February 12, 2023, our nation is throwing one of its biggest parties of the whole year. And this party is centered around a football game where the best team in professional football will be determined. And let me just say that today's party is not just about football. Let me explain by giving you some interesting facts about this party that's going on today. Not just in our nation, but around the world. Uh, but this evening, Super Bowl 57 will be played in Glendale, Arizona, uh, pitting the Kansas City, Chief, uh, Kansas City Chiefs against the Philadelphia Eagles. There will be over 72,000 people in attendance for this game. The average ticket price to be at this game is over $8,800. You heard me right. That's the average. Now, you could buy a cheap ticket for $4,000, uh, and they go up from there. You could, uh, you could buy a, a suite and, and have all your friends there with you. Uh, you could buy a suite for around $400,000 to watch the game there live tonight. But close to 193 million people will be viewing this game tonight uh, whether on the internet or on TV. Now, a big part of the Super Bowl is the advertisements. Uh, you know, I said it, this party is not just about football, but a big part is advertisements. So this year, 30-second commercials sold for $7 million. Uh, that's over $226,000 per second. The big beer company, Anheuser-Busch, ended up purchasing three whole minutes, uh, spending $42 million on the game tonight. In fact, a high percentage of the commercials will be about drinking alcohol and promoting upcoming movies. In fact, 44 whole minutes of commercials will be aired throughout the Super Bowl evening. 
that's worth $616 million. Oh, there is some entertainment, some music at halftime, too. And uh, the halftime performer is a rock star by the name of Rihanna. Uh, She is currently the wealthiest, youngest, wealthiest female in the United States. She's actually a billionaire. Extremely immoral uh, young lady with tremendous influence. As far as the winnings tonight, each player on the winning team will receive $157,000 as well as a Super Bowl ring uh, that is valued at between $30,000 and $50,000. Uh, By the way, Tom Brady has seven of those. As far as the parties and the spending surrounding uh, this game, over 103 million people plan to throw or attend a party uh, tonight. Uh, 17.8 million plan to view the game in a bar or restaurant. The total spending on food, drinks, apparel, decorations, and other purchases for Super Bowl Sunday celebrations is expected to reach $16.5 billion. That's over $85 a person. You understand what I'm saying? That this this party is not just about football. Uh, This party is about self. This party is about money. This party is about fame. This party is about self-indulgence. Did I say this party is about money? Meanwhile, our nation and world should be mourning the tragic loss of over 28,000 people in Turkey and Syria. Meanwhile, think how many orphan children could be given a home with just a small percentage of this frivolous party money. Meanwhile, by the end of today, over 25,000 people around the world will die due to starvation and hunger-related illnesses. But we're going to throw a party. We're going to throw the best party. We're not worried about them. We're going to live it up. It it grieves my heart to know that it's not just the world that's throwing this party, but many, many professing believers are also throwing their own Super Bowl parties or attending Super Bowl parties. One of the biggest parties our nation throws, there's a lot of professing believers that look at it as just fun and games. Let me tell you, it's not just fun and games. Oh, I didn't even mention the sheer indecency and immodesty that would be prevalent in the stands and on the field by the cheerleaders and others in this family-friendly environment tonight. I also didn't mention how much money is being spent on bets on this game around the world. Astronomical figures. People are betting on this game. Uh, We don't have all morning to talk about the Super Bowl, okay? I'm using that as an illustration to tell you that our world is heading more and more down the road of self-obsession. And although it can be shocking to us, 
although it is unreal in a sense to us, it should not be surprising. And I invite you to 2 Timothy chapter 3, because the Apostle Paul, many years ago, made it clear that the last days will be smeared with self. And in fact, he said that the last days will be perilous times. And I want you to know that in, in these few verses that we're going to notice, just the first few verses, there are, there are four Greek words that are very heavy and very serious. In fact, three of them are found nowhere else in the Bible. They are only found in this passage. One of the Greek words is only found one other place. You know what this tells me? That tells me that the last days are going to be unique. <laughs> They're going to be like none other. The things that we are seeing in the last days will be extreme. You cannot compare them. The one word is the, is the Greek word for perilous. It is kalepos. The only other place we find that word in the Bible, kalepos, is in Matthew 8, verse 28. And there it speaks of the two demon-possessed men that are coming out of the tombs. And it says they were exceeding fierce. That's the word. That's the only other place. And Paul says in the last days... It's going to be perilous, exceeding fierce. And so embedded in that word is also demon possession. But that word also has to do with dangerous. It also has to do with hard to deal with. Whenever you're dealing with self, whenever self is on the throne, situations are hard to deal with. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. That's the one Greek word. Lovers of their own selves. It's the only time we find it in the Bible. And then it goes on to list 16 descriptions. <laughs> 16. And all of them, this whole string of descriptions, is just smeared with self. Self has embedded them, embedded in all of them. And then verse 4, it says, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, there's one of the other Greek words that we don't find anywhere else, more than lovers of God, that's the third one. So the three Greek words we find nowhere else in the Bible except this place is lovers of their own selves, lovers of pleasure, lovers of God. Now, I didn't memorize those Greek words, so I'm not saying them to you right now, but the Greek word that is behind those English words, okay? I'm telling you, the last days will be unique. The last days will be severe. And self will be on the throne in this world, as it were. We know that God reigns supreme. We know that God is in control I ask you, is there any wonder that these last days are terrible? That these last days are difficult? The last days will be marked by misplaced passions. 
lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. The last days we marked by misplaced passions. Let me just say this yet about sports before we move on. Not just for the young people, but for all of us. A love for professional sports and the entertainment of our culture and a devotion for Jesus Christ do not run in the same direction. They are not on the same playing field. They run contrary to one another. And if you want to pick a fight with me, let me just tell you kindly that there is no fight to be had. You will find when you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ, as you grow deeper and deeper into an intimacy with Jesus Christ, you will find that sports, entertainment, that whole thing, you will find that it just sort of drops off. You will start seeing it in a completely different view. It will begin to seem foolish to you. Do I need to say anything more? (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying? As you grow in your walk with God, the other will fall away. But the other is just tragically true as well. (laughs) As you develop more and more interest in the sports scene of this world and in the entertainment culture of this world, your love for Jesus Christ will wane. The two do not go in the same direction. And it grieves my heart this morning that there are are too many professing believers, there are even too many in our conservative groups that think that you can have them both and have God's blessing. You won't find that in the Bible. You see, we look at We listen to, we long for what we love. What we love leads us. What we love controls us. And I ask you, what is controlling you? Who or what is that force in your life? This morning we want to think specifically about the bondage of self. And we'll first of all just look at a little definition what is it and then secondly a description what does it look like and in the description part of the message I simply want to highlight several areas of bondage that burden me as I look at my life as I look at the life of the church I'm not just looking at Ebenezer but as I look at the life of the conservative Anabaptist church, there's areas of bondage that burden me that I would like to share with you this morning. And and while this sermon is far from exhaustive, I trust that the snapshots that I present this morning will be enough to convince you of the danger and deception of living for self. And I want to remind all of you that no matter how bad you are bound... There is freedom in Jesus Christ. There is freedom in Jesus Christ. You are not without hope. And so as we think about this 
self and the bondage of self. What is it? What is the bondage of self? What are we talking about? I probably don't have to describe it to you. Unfortunately, you probably have experienced that in your life, and and maybe you're here this morning and you're experiencing that even now. But as far as biblically, uh, we read words like self, like this body, uh, the body of sin, the old man, the carnal mind, we read these terms in our Bible. That it, that's what it's referring to. It's referring to our flesh, our carnal nature. It's all about fleshly urges and appetites. It's what makes me hungry, as it were, myself. What makes my body feel good? What feeds my ego? What swells my head? What tells me that, that I'm just really something? Like, like, I mean, this world is a better place because of me. It's really good that I was born because I'm useful. Like, people need me. That's self. It's what tells me that I'm smarter than you. It's what tells me that I'm beautiful, uh, that I'm handsome. It's the picture of a person that enjoys looking at themselves in the mirror and smiling at themselves and winking. and, and it's, it's, it's that. It's self. It's our flesh. Bondage. What does bondage have to do with it? Bondage is all about control. You see, in these examples that I just gave, Something is controlling my mind. Something is dictating my actions. And it's not the Holy Spirit. No, it's not the Holy Spirit. But it's my sinful self. It's my default setting. It's who I am by nature. Jesus said, Whosoever commits sin is the servant of sin. Paul said, You are a slave to the one you obey. Peter said, a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. My friend Daniel back here told me some time ago about a man that he had met who professed no belief in God. And in the course of their conversation, Daniel asked this man, so what do you believe about yourself? How would you label yourself? Who are you? And this is what the man told Daniel. He said, I am my appetites. I am my appetites. (laughs) Can you believe that? But yet, what an accurate description. I mean, this man was not born again, and so his flesh ran his life. He was a slave to self. Whatever his flesh asked for, that's what he got. His flesh was in control of his life. Now, the Apostle Paul gives numerous word pictures that help us define what this bondage of self really is. And let me just tell you, they're all negative. (laughs) There's no beauty in them at all. Romans 6, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. You see, that is what comes natural. Sin reigning in our mortal bodies. That's what comes natural. And the Apostle Paul says, don't let it happen. Don't let your fleshly appetites control you. 
Romans 7.18, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Dwelleth no good thing. Isn't that similar to what Jesus said? It is the Spirit that makes us alive. The flesh counts for nothing. 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Or I beat my body into subjection. I make my body my slave. I, through the power of God, and am in control of my body, my flesh. 1 Thessalonians 4, 4, and 5. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, and I add, and they don't care. But Paul here says, every one of us should know how to control our bodies in a way that is holy and honorable. You understand in each of these these examples I gave, it is natural for our flesh to be in control. We are born with a sinful nature. Self is on the throne. By nature, we are sinners. And over and over again, through the teachings of Jesus, through the writings of Paul and Peter and others, they make it clear, do not let that reign. Do not let your flesh reign. You must be in control. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. These are familiar verses, but yet they must be looked at as we consider this. And I just want you to note here the very clear description of spiritual bondage. Spiritual bondage. It's easy to read verses like this, and in our minds, we are reserving these verses for really immoral people, for people out on the street, for people that didn't grow up in Christian homes, certainly not Mennonites, okay? But I want you to notice, verse 1, he says, you. Verse 2, he says, ye. Verse 3, he says, we all. You can't get away from this. This is speaking about me. Speaking about you. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or lifestyle in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, underline that, the children of wrath, even as others. The Apostle Paul here is saying that this is who we are without Jesus Christ. He says we are this by nature. By nature. Notice he says, we were by nature the children of wrath. That doesn't mean that we, that we were born angry, necessarily. That's not really what it's saying. It is really saying that we are the, without Jesus Christ, 
We are the object of God's wrath. Why? Because we are sinners. You see, we're not sinners so much because we sin. But we sin because we are sinners. We are all sinners. And so, it doesn't matter if you're born into a Christian home, necessarily. It doesn't matter if you go to a Mennonite church, necessarily. It doesn't matter if you just dress right. That's not what it's about. But you are a sinner in need of a Savior. You need salvation just as bad as the prostitute, as bad as the homosexual, as bad as the drunkard. You see, the fact that we are sinners by nature puts everyone on the same Level ground. We all need Jesus. And the Apostle Paul says here that the spirit of life wants us to be free from these things. Wants us to be free from the course of this world. Wants us to be free from the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. Wants us to be free from the desires of the flesh and the mind. Romans 8. For the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. That is God's desire for our lives. But when our fleshly urges and appetites are in the driver's seat of our lives, we are heading down the road to death. Now let's move on here and look at some descriptions. What does the bondage of self look like? (laughs) The illustration that comes to my mind is... Just a few years ago, we decided that we needed some work done on our driveway. You know, our driveway snakes down through the woods, downhill, the whole way down through the woods. And over time, that driveway was, was really getting washed out and getting in very bad repair. And so we asked a local company to come and bring their trucks and equipment and, and fix our lane, fix the ditches. And, I'll never forget uh, the morning that this gentleman came out to start the work. I mostly remember the guy who came with him. His helper was this thin, rough-looking fella wearing a tank top that revealed all his many tattoos and a big chain necklace around his neck. And in one hand, he was holding a red bowl and a cigarette figure out how that worked. And in the other hand, he was holding his smartphone, which had his constant attention, except when he needed another drink or a smoke. And it was quite amusing to watch this take place. A cigarette and a Red Bull, you weren't sure where he was going with each time. And, and, you know, I remember looking at that and just shaking my head and saying, what is he thinking? I mean, there were so many factors working in his life. So many things were, were in control of him. And, you know, we can look at a picture like that and we just shake our heads and say, boy, the world is so mixed up. Like, they just don't have it. And we, we kind of almost make mockery of people like that. And yet, dear people, we so often fail to acknowledge the terrible vice of self that is entrenched in our own lives. And I am burdened this morning because while things may look ever so communion ready, as it were, on the outside, yet there are 
far too many people in our churches who are harboring vices of selfishness and pride and bitterness and unforgiveness and sexual sins and addictions and on and on and on. People who are addicted to their sports and to their hobbies and to their entertainment and to their electronic devices and and in their pocket, as it were, are the keys to victory and freedom. But oh boy, try addressing it. Just mind your own business. You mean I have a problem? Have you noticed him? You see. Areas of bondage that we must be aware of. First is wealth. Wealth. You know, wealth is deceitful. It promises much, but it gives little in return. But the devil allures us with this glamorous package uh, to make us aloof from the realities of life that have eternal significance, like our families, like the brothers and sisters in our church, like our neighbors, like our own souls. You know, he keeps us busy being good stewards of our ever-accumulating junk stuff. And yet all the time, choking out the time we need for nourishing our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Making our Bible reading and our prayer time just seem kind of drab, kind of boring. Until we have little appetite for it at all. In the parable of the sower... Jesus compared wealth and the stuff of this world to sharp, life-robbing thorns. And he said this in Mark chapter 4. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. But then what happens? Well, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things, entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and note two verses here. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. But they that will be or desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Did you see anything positive in those two verses about wealth? (laughs) If you did, I missed it. (laughs) I missed it. And yet we, we somehow think that we can be the lucky one that can have wealth and know how to handle it properly. Jesus said, how hard is it for a rich man to enter into heaven? How hard is it? In, in, in fact, Jesus exclaimed over that twice. He said it's easier. 
for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. And we won't, we won't endeavor to try to figure that all out this morning, okay? But it tells me that Jesus was saying, that is nigh impossible for a rich man to enter into heaven. And we read that, and I'm not sure if we believe it. In fact, as you look around the conservative Anabaptist community, I'm pretty sure that many people don't believe that. I guess they just think that they somehow are strong enough to be the one that can do it. We love to jump ahead in where Jesus said, with God all things are possible. Yes, okay. Well, so, and then we justify ourselves. I know it's really hard, but God can do anything. It'll probably be with me. You know. And we miss the point. Jesus said, your heart will be where your treasure is. People sometimes say, you know, really watch out about your heart. Be careful about your heart. No, I say, where's your treasure? That's where your heart is. Identify a person's treasure and you'll know where his heart is. His heart is where his treasure is. Wherever that treasure is, that's where his heart is and that's what controls him. Now, right on the hills of wealth is another area of bondage. It's very similar. It's worldliness. Worldliness. Turn to Luke 21. Luke 21. Here Jesus is talking about the last days. Did you know that the last days will be marked by a down and around focus? A down and around focus. In fact, there are more people looking down these days than ever before. And I mean that in more ways than one. There's a lot of of emotional problems, depression problems, weights on people due to sin and guilt and conviction and all of that. But there's also a lot of looking down due to electronic devices. And Jesus said, when these things start happening, these things that he speaks about in Luke 21, when these things start happening, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. You better get your face off the ground. You better get your face out of your devices. Lift up your heads, because your redemption draweth nigh. And Jesus goes on to say in these latter verses, the end of Luke 21, that all of this stuff, this materialistic approach, all of this worldliness can become a snare to us where we miss His coming. Because we're looking down and not anticipating His coming. Verse 34, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged, or that means to be weary or weighed down, with surfeiting and drunkenness. Those two words had to do with overabundant supply, excess, excessive indulgence, and the cares of this life, so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth, Watch ye therefore, 
And pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass. And to stand before the Son of Man. And so it's a picture of people who are, who are busy taking care of their boat. And busy taking care of all their hunting stuff. And busy taking care of their business. And busy taking care of all their hobby stuff. And their, their, their beach houses. And their you name it. They're so busy with all of their stuff. They have this worldly uh, mentality. And so they're busy with this and busy with that. And Jesus comes and they're not ready. Because all their effort and all of their attention is consumed in the Stuff of this world is going to burn up. They're not focusing on the eternal significance. In an article about what has marked the Anabaptist community over the years, Romaine Stauffer wrote this. I quote, For 200 years the Anabaptists in Europe had a theology of suffering as a mark of genuine faith. The next 200 years, the Mennonites in America shifted to a humility theology. That brings us up to roughly 1920. And then she asked this question. What one word would you use to describe Mennonites from 1920 to today? Ponder that. In discussing this with some others, one brother suggested self-indulgence. And you know, I think he's pretty close to right. What one word would you use to describe Mennonites today? Wealth and worldliness, two areas of bondage we must be beware of. Another, and maybe this will surprise you and maybe not, but it's women. And although this point is focused a bit more towards the men, uh, ladies, I understand that you have your own set of moral temptations and challenges. But let me just step out on a limb and suggest that never before in the history of the church have more men fallen due to a weakness for women than today in these days. But the trap is nothing new. In fact, the trap is worn smooth because Satan has been using it successfully for many years and he's caught many a good man in it. I think of David, the man after God's own heart, the sweet singer of Israel. David had a weakness for women. And the Bible says that David had eight wives and ten concubines. Eight wives and ten concubines. But I want you to get this. All of those women in, in his life did not keep him from coveting his neighbor's wife. In fact, they inclined him to it. Now, is that amazing or what? All of these women in his life did not keep him from coveting his neighbor's wife. They inclined him to it. You see, our flesh tells us just one more, just one more, and then you'll be satisfied. I have a sister that when she was just a little thing, she ate more cookies 
than she ought to have eaten. And her mother addressed her by saying, You mean you ate all those cookies? And she said, No. I just ate one. And then I ate one. And then I ate one. (laughs) And then I ate one. (laughs) You know? That's how we do, right? No, we don't eat all those cookies. We just eat one. Just one more. I used to sing under a choir conductor, conductor who would say, just one more time, after we, after we practiced the piece, just one more time. He didn't mean one more time, he just mean another time. <laughs> okay, we learned that pretty quick. You, you know, your heart kind of went up and then down, up and down. But that's how our flesh works. That's how Satan does. Making us believe that just one more time will be the good one. Then we'll be satisfied. Now concerning David's affair with Bathsheba, David follows, followed his selfish appetites. And consider what he experienced. Consider what he experienced. For nearly a year, David lived a miserable life of guilt and deception, uh, reaping the bitter harvest of, of self and sin. In fact, he was so deep in bondage that he confessed only after he was confronted by Nathan the prophet. And what was the result of this exciting affair? It was death. The child died. You see? Death breeds death. Let me just mention this. Sometimes you hear the the term, uh, someone snapped. You know, know, maybe someone was, they seem to be a, a great person, and everything is going great, and then... They snapped. You know, people use that term and something really, they did something terrible. Uh, some time ago I heard uh, someone mention to me about a, uh, a man who, who seemed to be upright and, and a good man and a godly man and, and he fell into uh, sexual sin and, and they said he just snapped. Let me tell you, men, men don't snap when it comes to sexual sin. Men fall as a result of a series of compromises. It's a very similar progression to Achan that we read about in Joshua chapter 7 where it says, I saw, I coveted, I took, and I hid. I saw, I coveted, I took, and I hid. Uh, Did you know that what you hide controls you? What you hide controls you. A little children... You back to cookies. You steal a cookie. Maybe mama said no more cookies, but you just have to have one later. So you steal a cookie and you put it under your pillow. And you're going to come back sometime by yourself. Do you know in your heart that that cookie is then the controlling factor in your life. Everywhere you go, you're thinking about that cookie. Is that cookie still there? Will mama know I got that cookie? I wonder when I'll eat that cookie. Will that cookie still be good? That that cookie controls you. (laughs) I say what you hide controls you. But you know what's fascinating? If you hide good things in your life, that also controls you. Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his ways pure? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. 
What you hide controls you. What are you hiding in your life? Makes all the difference. You know, like father, like son, going back to David here, Solomon took this weakness to an all-new level. Turn to Proverbs chapter 5. And these verses here in Proverbs chapter 5 were obviously written in a wiser moment of Solomon's life. But verses 20 through 23, we read this. And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the bosom of a stranger? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his goings. Now get this verse. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself. We're talking about the bondage of self. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. When we follow after our fleshly appetites, we're tying ourselves up. Yeah, just like James chapter 1, where it says, you can't blame God, you can't blame the devil, you are the culprit. You are enticed, and you give in, and you go down a road that leads to death. He shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. Ecclesiastes 7.26, once again, this was in one of Solomon's wiser moments. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, and her hands as bands. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. We must move along quickly. Two more areas of bondage yet that we must beware of. And the first is words of wisdom. Words of wisdom. You know, we live in a day when there is more Christian information available at our fingertips than ever before. Whether it's through books or DVDs or YouTube videos or podcasts or links to this and links to that, you name it. I say there's more Christian information available at our, at our fingertips than ever before. And, and our people, I say, are consuming more Christian content than ever before. But generally speaking, this is not leading to greater clarity and conviction, but it is leading to greater confusion. I say generally speaking. Who will you listen to? What will you believe? Let me warn you that just because it's religious content doesn't guarantee it's according to the truth. And and I am certainly not throwing all of these things under the bus. Understand me. I'm just simply giving a fair warning to be discerning when you start listening to things out there. Jesus said, and this is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, many will come in my name saying, I am Christ, and will deceive many. Many will come, Jesus says, with quite a presentation. And thus, they will bring you a presentation that they says, 
is truth. And yet they will deceive many. Paul and Peter both said, in a sense, the last days will be full of false teachers. And I include gifted speakers, attractive presentations, large followings. And yet they're labeled in the scripture as false teachers. I just want to tell you this. There is absolutely no substitute for God's word. I see, the question is not, I wonder what this preacher thinks about this. Or I wonder what this preacher thinks about this passage. Or I wonder what this group of people feel about this. Uh, the big question is, what does God say about it? <laughs> what does God say about that? That's the big question. Words of wisdom. It's an area of bondage that we must be aware of. And lastly then, and maybe this surprises you, but maybe not. And that is worship. For many people, their worship can become bondage. Now, religion comes from a Latin word meaning to bind fast. The idea behind the term religion is that the worshiper is bound under an obligation of some sort. You understand that the religions of this world are not based on relationship, but it is a, it is a do religion, as it were. If you do this, if you do that, you are saved, as it were, whatever their definition of salvation is. You are right. You see, our worship can become a form of spiritual bondage when we have the mindset that our position with Jesus Christ is based on our performance. When we believe that it's all about what I can do, what I can bring to this relationship, how I comb my hair, what I wear, what color belt I wear, and the list could go on and on, fill in the blank. I say our worship can become bondage when we have that mindset. That it's based on our performance. Dear people, our salvation is not based on strict adherence to a list of rules. It's not. In fact, Jesus said that kind of worship does nothing more but wear people out. Placing heavy burdens on them that they, can even, they can't even hardly carry. It just wears them down. Oh, it's another thing to do. Oh, now they're asking me to do this. Oh, now this. And on and on. And it just wears people out. Jesus made it clear that worship that produces real peace and real freedom is not about religion, but it's about relationship. And over and over, Jesus unashamedly exposed the dead, empty religion of the Jewish leaders and warmly invited the weary people to a rich, life-giving experience with him. A relationship with him. You know, the Apostle Paul picked up on this. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. The, the Apostle Paul picked up on this and basically wrote, Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. <laughs> Don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. Don't let anyone deceive you. Don't let anyone take you captive. Don't let them judge you. Don't let them disqualify you. 
But he goes on to say in Colossians chapter 2, and I just put it in my own word, that your power for living in victory and your power for experiencing true freedom in Jesus Christ doesn't come from following man-made rules. It comes from your position in Christ Jesus. It comes from your, your relationship in Him. That's where the power is. And so Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle this. In other words, don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't touch that. He say, all of these are to perish with the using. Why are ye subject to ordinances, verse 22, after the commandments and doctrines of men? Which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. This is one of those passages, we can read those verses in the King James, and we're like, what does that mean? I, I don't quite get it. Let me just use another rendering to, to give some modern wording to this. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. You see? Our power doesn't come from strict adherence to a list of man-made rules. It comes through our relationship with Jesus Christ, being in Him and He in us, having that vibrant relationship with Him. That's where the power comes. That's where freedom comes. Now, before you throw me out, let me just make it clear. I am in no way taking a swing at practical application to biblical principles. Okay? I'm not. In fact, we need those. Those are helpful. It's all about having first things first. You see, religion, the doing without a relationship, leads to spiritual bondage. But true spiritual freedom is found, once again, in an authentic relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then flowing out of our love for Him will be a zeal for purity and holiness in our everyday life. And along with that, there will be practical application that helps us to maintain that. I just say that when religion is pushed at the expense of relationship, you find resistance. You find resistance. And that leads to splintering. But when there is, when there is a beautiful presentation of truth and spirit-filled lives calling us to a warm relationship with Jesus Christ... That is foundational for then the listener to take it, understand it, apply it to their lives. And then there is usually not any resistance to saying, how can I, how can I love Jesus more? How can I show that in everyday life? And it will come more organically, if you know what I mean. I feel too often in our leaderships, we, we have that a bit backwards and the scene in our churches is showing it. 
And I confess, I have much room to grow. I'm not presenting that I have a corner on this whatsoever. Let's work together to foster more of that approach. Let me just end this morning with a quote by Jim Elliott. Father, let me be weak that I might lose my clutch on everything temporal, my life, my reputation, my possessions. Lord, let me lose the tension of the grasping hand. Even, Father, would I lose the love of fondling. How often I have released a grasp only to retain what I prize by harmless longing, the fondling touch. Rather, open my hand to receive the nail of Calvary as Christ was opened, that I, releasing all, might be released, unleashed from all that binds me now. He thought heaven, yea, equality with God, not a thing to be clutched at. So let me release my grasp. Let's pray. Lord, you have blessed us richly with this opportunity to dig into the word of God together. Lord, it is life. It is peace. It is joy. It is full of rich blessing. And Lord, you know the issues in each of our lives today. You know what areas of bondage are tripping us up. And no doubt there's areas that I didn't even speak about this morning that your spirit is now bringing to our attention. And Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts that are soft and warm and open to the nudging of your spirit. Father, we want to have a warm, rich relationship with you. We want that to be the center of who we are. And then flowing out of that to be Christ-likeness in, in all we do and say and think. And so, Father, I just pray that, that you would work. And I pray that if there are those here this morning who are, are dealing with areas of bondage, that are feeling conviction because of that and are struggling because of that, I pray that through the power of Jesus Christ that you would bring freedom to their lives as they surrender themselves wholly to you. And may we as a congregation work together for the good of each one, and for the good of our testimony here, but mostly for your glory. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let us stand for a closing song together, sing a few verses of song, and then following that, you are dismissed.